Hey everybody, welcome to the greatest podcast in history. This is the first episode. This podcast will be discussing American history since 1865. So looking basically at everything that happened in the United States. Uh, that sounds very cocky of me, but we'll be covering a lot of stuff, a very a broad overview of American history since 1865. Well, uh, the sort of time period that people working in history like to call the the beginnings of modern America, right? So looking at the foundations of modern America and then moving all the way to modern America. So we'll be starting in what we call the Reconstruction Era and moving forward. This podcast, uh, at least this part of the podcast, will consist of probably about 32 episodes, each episode covering a different time period. We'll at the beginning, we'll do a lot of sort of contiguous stuff, right? There's a lot of happening, a lot of stuff happening all at the same time. And then as the podcasts move on, we'll get more and more towards sort of looking at decades uh, each podcast. So how this podcast works, we're not, this isn't a podcast that covers uh, really in-depth sort of military history or stuff like that. We won't just be focusing on the wars or the quote-unquote great men, which I don't really believe exist. Uh, instead, this will be a much more sort of social history focused, cultural history focused uh, podcast. We'll also, you, you can't talk about American history, obviously, without talking about presidents uh, and economics and politics. So those will definitely be a part of all of this. But we'll also be looking at sort of the, the individuals involved in all of this stuff, just regular people going throughout their lives during this time and what that looked like for them while still maintaining that big, broad overview. So uh, each podcast will sort of cover a big topic. Today's podcast is about Reconstruction. Then we'll do a couple weeks, a couple uh, podcasts on Industrial Revolution and so on and so forth. I'll take you just sort of through a quick, uh, quick overview of everything. And then at the end, I'll recommend some further readings if you want. Uh, but otherwise, uh, thanks for listening so much. I appreciate it. Be sure to tell your friends and let's get started. So the first sort of podcast here, what, what we are going to cover, we're looking at sort of the immediate Reconstruction era, right? So right after the Civil War has been won by the Union, by the North, what the United States looks like. So we're going to cover a couple things. We're talking about the 13th Amendment. We'll talk about the, the meanings of freedom, right? So what freedom meant. There's a whole new world of freedom out there people have to explore. Talk about the different types of reconstruction, right? Reconstruction is usually gets thrown around as this big term, but there's multiple different types of reconstruction. Then we'll talk about some of the reactions to reconstruction. Not everyone loved it, obviously. Mostly racists didn't love it. And then we'll also talk about the end of reconstruction. Reconstruction was a period. It is not, it was not an ongoing thing. It did end after a while, unfortunately. And so we're going to be answering some major questions as well, right? It's one of the big Sort of topics for discussion in this podcast is why did Reconstruction fail, right? It didn't necessarily have to. There are reasons for its failing. We'll go into some of those. And then we'll also talk about these, some of these broader ideas. Uh, what is the meaning of freedom? Freedom can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. It's very much sort of based on where you live, who you are, what your, you know, your socioeconomic status is, your identity is, right? What freedom can mean for you. And then we'll also talk about what were some of the possibilities possibilities of Reconstruction, right? My argument is that Reconstruction failed, but also that there were some massive possibilities for it, right? Reconstruction could have been this very cool thing. 
it ended up not being it, or at least not fully being that. Um, and we'll look at some of those possibilities. Before we get into that, however, uh, just a quick primer, since we're starting after 1865, just some of stuff that was happening in the United States at this time, right? So we're looking at the end of the Civil War, one of the bloodiest conflicts in United States history, mostly because, you know, it was people in the United States fighting other people in the United States, but also these battles were very bloody, uh, big, big battles a lot of times. Uh, lots of injuries, lots of death coming out of the Civil War. The sort of the United States was very much a changed place. Uh, looking at the state of the states, right? So we have all these states in the South and the Confederacy who claim to have left the United States. And the question for now is like, what do we do with these states, right? Do we let them back in? How do we let them back in? What is going to happen with them? And so everyone sort of sees this, the end of the Civil War, as a new beginning, right? A chance to create a newer, better United States, one that won't fall apart into Civil War. So Abraham Lincoln releases the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which ends sort of slavery in the Confederate States, but slavery in the United States is not ended until the passage of the 13th Amendment. Uh, for those people who, you know, have seen documentaries like the 13th and other stuff, uh, the 13th Amendment does sort of have in its passage uh, the ability to still enslave people through uh, if they, as a punishment for being imprisoned, right? But the 13th Amendment does represent this new sort of a promise of a new life for millions of uh, newly freed people, right? All these people who had been enslaved uh, now have... A new sort of chance at a free life the big question for a lot of them is what does that freedom mean right freedom doesn't mean the same thing to everyone as i mentioned already uh and for a lot of newly freed peoples it meant a couple of things one it meant you could reunite yourself with your family right one of the horrible practices of slavery in the united states was just splitting up families um you know, sending one person to different plantations across the across the state or even across the country. It also meant the chance to have a formal education, reading and writing. Uh, it meant for some people just not having to work, right? Um, just the ability to say, hey, I don't want to work today. I don't want to work at all. And that is totally fine. It meant owning the fruit of your labor, right? You make money for what you do. It meant the freedom to worship the way you want to worship. Uh, it meant being able to vote and even it meant holding political office. And that's just a small list of what freedom meant to a lot of different people. There are some stories of reconstruction, right? Stories of like Martha McDermott, who tried to find her family. Uh, she's not the only person, obviously, who tried to find her family after the end of slavery. Uh, many families sort of work to reconnect with each other throughout Reconstruction. A lot of times they had to do this by putting up ads in newspapers. Uh, this was could be expensive, right? Uh, for one month, an advertisement costs about $2, two and a half dollars. That was in 1866 in the South Carolina Leader. Uh, that was not a uh, not a small amount of money, right? Uh, for especially for someone who hadn't been who had been working their whole life, but hadn't been paid to work their whole life, who had been enslaved, right? So finding this money was a hard task for a lot of people, but many people did it. 
because they wanted to find their families. So the um, people like Martha McDermott did pay these um, to to find their families uh, and put up these ads all throughout newspapers in the South. Many people got into politics. South Carolina, for example, had multiple African-American uh, men hold office in the immediate post-Civil War elections. Uh, these have all been formerly enslaved people uh, running for office and winning these winning these uh, seats. People also, a lot of many newly free people left the South, right? They didn't want to live in this place that had been so harmful to them. Um, some of them went west. They formed what were called black towns. Uh, Nicodemus, Kansas was one of these towns. Uh, you know, people would go out and into the West, right? This sort of uh, land that they thought they could make a new lives for themselves. Nicodemus, Kansas was established in 1877. Um, it lasted for a while, but there was lots of crop failures, unfortunately, uh, and some resentment from the white settlers around. Uh, and so by 1910, most of the homesteaders had abandoned their claims, though this did sort of provide an example for a lot of people of what they could do. Also, uh, chapel schools uh, began to pop up throughout the country, um, places like in Sharpsburg, Maryland. These were often combination Methodist churches and schoolhouses, and they became the center of sort of like the local black communities efforts to educate themselves and their children's their children. Um, so these were started almost immediately after the Civil War. The Sharpsburg Tolson's Chapel was started in 1866, just two years after the end of slavery in Maryland. Um, this was near the, the battle site of Antietam, if you're familiar with that. And these sort of schools popped up all throughout the country. There's also uh, legal marriages became quite commonplace during this time, right? Uh, prior to the end of slavery, there were couples that exist on plantations uh, and in households, but their marriages were not considered legal for the most part. So uh, people wanted to get, you know, sort of the legal benefits of marriage and to sort of show that they were, you know, united underneath the law. So people began to make themselves uh, their marriages official, often using the Freedmen's Bureau to do so. Uh, people like Barry Mason and Sarah White got married officially in 1866. And on their marriage license, you can see all their children already. Right. So clearly they'd been together for a long time. So one of the big sort of groups that came about to help with this transition uh, and to provide formerly enslaved people, newly free people, with the ability to find their freedom was the Freedmen's Bureau. This was established by Congress in 1865, and its sort of primary goal was to establish a new social order to help create a new social order in the wake of the Civil War. It was run by O.O. Howard, a northerner who had lost uh, his arm in the war. He, uh, Howard University is named after him. Freedmen's Bureau, uh, their goal was to ensure equal access to education, judiciary, food, and medical care. Some people wanted to go beyond just redesigning the social order and wanted it to redesign the economic system of the South, right? Remove the power of the, the landowners and the, the planters. That really didn't get sort of, that didn't get put into place, obviously, but that's sort of the, one of the possibilities of reconstruction right these ideas that were being put into the public sphere uh, and given some push behind them that idea of 40 acres and a mule originated with the freedmen's bureau 
Uh, they built the Freedmen's Bureau, among other things. They built 3,000 schools, uh, and they were much more successful at sort of des- redesigning the social order to some level than they were the economic system. But despite all this, there was some early resistance to this black freedom, right? There's still people in the United States who are incredibly racist and do not and think that, you know, white people are much, much better than anyone else in the U.S. Uh, the KKK, for example, the Ku Klux Klan, was founded in 1865. So after this, immediately after the Civil War, uh, the KKK is not the only white supremacist organization being founded at the time. Groups like the Southern Cross and the Knights of the White Camilla were also formed. Uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest, uh, who was one of the Confederate generals, became the first national leader of the KKK. So, moving on then, we have sort of, we talked a little bit about what early Reconstruction looks like. Now we're going to get into sort of the more formal ideas of it. There are generally considered to be four different types of Reconstruction. One, Lincoln's Reconstruction, Abraham Lincoln's Reconstruction. Two, Johnson's Reconstruction three, congressional reconstruction, and then four, sort of this more grassroots reconstruction. So we'll go through them in order. So Lincoln's reconstruction, Abraham Lincoln, obviously president during the Civil War. And he was thinking about what the United States would look like after the Civil War, right? Uh, in 1863, a couple of years before the end of the Civil War, but when sort of the tide had turned and planning had moved from just how to win this war to what it looks like after the war, Lincoln introduced something called the 10% plan. So the 10% plan would give amnesty to everyone who proclaimed loyalty to the Union and supported the emancipation of slaves. When the 10% part comes in, when 10% of the state had taken this oath of loyalty, they could reform their state government under the condition that slavery be made illegal. So this was not exactly the strictest uh plan right sort of just 10 percent isn't a lot of people and then just having one sort of um one sort of thing they had to do in the new state government is pretty lenient right and the congressional republicans at the time who were much more sort of actively uh a lot of times actively anti-slavery uh actively pro-punishing the south vetoed this plan they instead instead of uh, backing Lincoln's 10% plan, back something called the Wade Davis Bill. This was much, much stricter. Uh, it only allowed states back into the Union once 50% of the population had taken a loyalty oath, so a much higher bar for loyalty oaths. And then to earn the right to vote or to hold office, Southerners had to take something called the Ironclad Oath, which was a much stronger oath than just the loyalty oath. This ironclad oath said that they had never aided or abetted rebellion against the Union, right? So this would prohibit planters, Confederate leaders from holding office or voting in the new Union. Much, much stronger, much more punishing for uh, people who had committed treason against the United States. This was vetoed by Lincoln. Uh, Before anything could go further on this, Lincoln was murdered by John Wilkes Booth on April 14th, 1865, assassinated. John Wilkes Booth was a Confederate sympathizer, uh, and this assassination sort of set up a a showdown between the new president, Andrew Johnson, and the radical Republicans. Uh, One thing Frederick Douglass said about Abraham Lincoln was that he was one of the noblest, wisest, and best men I ever knew. Uh, at this point, it's sort of common knowledge that Lincoln's opinions on sort of 
black people in general uh, were not perhaps as uh, positive as we would like them to be. But he did pass the Emancipation Proclamation and put forward the 13th Amendment and help the Union win the Civil War. Like a lot of people that we'll talk about here, a very complicated man with perhaps not the best opinions, but did some great things for the country. I also won't go too much into this, but John Wilkes Booth, his sort of stature as this famous, very famous uh, actor and sort of from a famous acting family is a, a wild story as well. Sort of like if Lincoln got assassinated by one of the, the Olsen brothers or something. Uh, it's not something you would think would happen. So Andrew Johnson, we now move on to Andrew Johnson's reconstruction. I hate Andrew Johnson. Uh, I think he sucks. One of the worst presidents of all time. I'll just get my biases out there already. He was a native Southerner, came from the South. He was picked solely by Lincoln um, to, try, to try to garner more support in the 1864 election, right? So he wasn't even the first VP. Uh, this is sort of one of these turning points of history. Someone else that uh, the other choice, possible choice for vice president was this guy called Hannibal Hamlin, who was a supporter of the radical Republicans uh, and would have become president in 64. But that didn't happen. If it did, you know, things could have been very different. But these are, that's a sort of a counterfactual. Um, and Johnson offered the South an easy path to rejoining the Union, right? Sort of undercutting even what Lincoln wanted to do, but also what the radical Republicans wanted to do. Uh, just one fact about Andrew Johnson. He was fall down drunk at his own inauguration. He sort of in his speech, he just sort of veered wildly from one topic to another, just drunk off his ass. The speech was very early in the morning. This guy Hannibal Hamlin was there as well, trying to like get him off the stage, right? Tugging on his jacket. Uh, President Lincoln was there. He was just like... According to reports, he just closed his eyes and sat motionless while this was happening. Uh, and then Johnson even turned his back on the audience to, to take his oath. It was sort of wildly embarrassing. Uh, and then Lincoln sort of followed it up with one of the greatest inaugural addresses in American history. So just a really dumb guy. I hate Andrew Johnson. So Andrew Johnson's reconstruction policy, obviously, as I said, he wanted a much more lenient policy right he wanted to he was a native southern he was friends with a lot of confederates knew them growing up moved in the same circles as them and allowed them back into the union pretty easily he destroyed that 40 acres and a mule policy of the freedmen's bureau he required a loyalty oath to rejoin the union uh, and confederate leaders had to personally ask him for a pardon uh, and he gave thirteen thousand people pardons this sort of requirement to personally ask him uh, meant that there, at one point there was basically just lines of Confederate leaders outside of the White House for a very long time, right? Not exactly a good look. Uh, and this sort of very lenient policy ensured there was no social revolution in the South, right? Largely, the economic and social structures remained the same. And you can see this uh, sort of in the results of Johnson's Reconstruction. These reinstated white Confederate leaders took advantage of Johnson's unwillingness to punish them. And they began creating something that became known as Black Codes. These restricted the freedoms of African-American peoples in the South to a tremendous extent and started what we now call what we call the Jim Crow South. We'll talk more about this later. But these Black Codes did things like restricted people from serving on juries, 
uh, from testifying against white people in court. Uh, they banned interracial marriage. Uh, it, it prohibited black people from purchasing farmland in some states. Very harsh vagrancy laws that were really just applied to black people. Uh, and they began to see the sort of physical separation of black and white people in the South in ways that hadn't been done before, even under slavery. So while Johnson was pushing for this sort of more lenient reconstruction at the same time, the, the radical Republicans in Congress were also pushing forward their own uh, reconstruction called Congressional Reconstruction. This is sort of the much more radical version of Reconstruction and where we get a lot of the sort of good things we think of as coming out of Reconstruction came from the Congressional Reconstruction. Um, they were obviously in massive opposition to Andrew Johnson. These radical Republicans who are leading this were led by people like Charles Sumner, Thaddeus Stevens, Benjamin Wade. Uh, these are some of the big, big names in Congressional Recon uh, Reconstruction. They had pushed for emancipation long before Abraham Lincoln ever did. And in 1866, uh, in the new elections, they had gained veto power over Andrew Johnson. So they're able to sort of exert some control over this. One of the things they passed, uh, one of the things they did was they passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866, one of the first civil rights acts in the United States. They also expanded the Freedmen's Bureau. Uh, they passed the 14th Amendment. They uh, passed something called the Military Reconstruction Act and the Second Reconstruction Act. And they passed the 15th Amendment. We'll go through all of these things. So the Civil Rights Act of 1866 was meant to limit the effects of the Black Codes, right? They had seen these coming into effect in the South and they wanted to stop this. Uh, and so the Civil Rights Act declared that all persons born in the U.S. were citizens without distinction of race or color or previous condition of slavery or involuntary servitude. So this meant that states couldn't limit the rights, the, you know, sort of the, the federal citizenship rights of uh, black people in the South, whether or not, based on whether or not they had been a slave, right? This is, doesn't declare full equality, but it does provide a roadblock. Johnson vetoed this, uh, and that veto was overridden by Congress. They also expanded the Freedmen's Bureau. They allowed for more schools to be built. Uh, they extended the Bureau's powers for two more years, uh, gave them more money to help more people, but they didn't do land reform. That was something they couldn't get past. And so we saw the end of that 40 acres and a mule. Once again, this was vetoed by Johnson and overridden by Congress. Starting to see a theme here. The 14th Amendment was also passed. Uh, this barred former Confederates from holding public office, gave black men, not women, full citizenship rights. And Congress was allowed to punish states that didn't uphold that, right? States also were forbidden from restricting the citizenship rights of any citizen, but it did not protect voting rights. As we'll see, Jim Crow South was largely, uh, one of the big effects of the Jim Crow South was to prevent black people from voting. The Military Reconstruction Act, uh, this was the congressional plan to help bring the South back into the Union, right? Sort of the successor to the Wade Davis bill. Uh, they put military governors in control of former Confederate state governments. And these military governors installed sort of stringent readmission requirements, uh, required fair and open voting and ratification of the 14th Amendment. The voting rules were not often followed. Um, black people did win some elections despite of this. Uh, the South often refused to cooperate with these unless forced to by the military. 
once again vetoed by Johnson and overridden by Congress. There's also the, a follow-up to this Military Reconstruction Act, the second Re- Military Reconstruction Act. Uh, this forced to the South to hold elections, right? If they refused to, this forced them to hold elections. Uh, and by 1870, every former Confederate state had been readmitted into the Union. Say with me now, this was vetoed by Johnson, but overridden by Congress. And then also the 15th Amendment. This protected the right to vote for all black men. It was ratified in 1870. And unfortunately, by this time, Johnson was no longer president, so he couldn't veto it. Uh, and it passed without having to uh, be vetoed and then that veto overridden, which was nice for the radical Republicans. By 1870, the radical Republicans were being frustrated. Um, they were no longer had their vast majorities. They had impeached Johnson. Uh, the first time a president had been impeached, but they failed to convict him. It was a very close vote, uh, but that vote failed. Uh, they were losing white support in the North. Uh, the thing to remember about the North is that the, the, the North was still very, very racist. Um, and people were becoming, you know, less concerned, quote unquote, about black problems. Uh, and more sort of wanting people to focus on white issues, quote unquote, white issues at the time. Which meant that these radical Republican uh, reforms about race um, were being ignored and they were losing votes. On 1868, Ulysses S. Grant was elected president. The popular vote was, this was one of these very contested elections. The popular vote was much, much closer than the electoral vote actually appeared. And the South was starting to revert back to white planner control, despite the efforts of the radical Republicans to resist that. So now moving on to our last sort of type of reconstruction uh, is the grassroots reconstruction. Uh, so this is sort of in the early years of Reconstruction, black men ran for and won all sorts of state level political seats, states and local level political seats. And this ensured early Republican control of the South. This was this is very early years of post-Civil War. These sort of local leaders, uh, local and state level leaders, attempted reforms all across the South. And these reforms saw constant resistance resistance from both poor and wealthy whites in the South. They, they attempted economic and land reform, but they were really never sort of fully realized. And this people I'm talking about here are people like uh, Jonathan Jasper Wright, who was the first black judge in South Carolina. People like Walter Moses Burton, who was the, the elected sheriff of Fort Bend County in 1869, the first black sheriff in Texas, uh, the first black sheriff in the country. Uh, Burton, interesting, also served as the first president of the Fort Bend County Union League. The Union League was the secret, quote-unquote, organization that was established in the North and eventually came South, uh, which supported Abraham Lincoln's policies. But grassroots reconstruction, despite this pushback uh, from white racists, did have some successes. They saw an expansion of the public school system in the South, uh, passing of anti-discrimination measures, and they strengthened the rights of agricultural workers, as well as beginning some infrastructure improvements. The South infrastructure had been decimated, devastated by the Civil War and sort of by a lack of investment in it from the beginning. Uh, And at one point, in the post-Civil War years, 2,000 black men had held local office. It would be the highest number for a very long time. But there's also some failures of this grassroots reconstruction. They couldn't pass or enact a lot of land or labor reform. 
the sharecropping started to spread, which was this really sort of um, this practice that just kept pe- uh, black people in debt. Uh, there was a, a huge, massive growth in convict leasing, so using enslaved people uh, for free labor. And then there were these sort of attitudes of white people who saw carpetbaggers and scalawags, terms used for North people coming down to the South, uh, and they very sort of remained negative and saw a lot of pushback against them. So those are the four types. So now we'll move to sort of how construction collapsed. We've sort of seen the beginnings of that with the development of the Black Codes uh, and the failures of radical Republicans to push a lot of stuff through. But now we'll sort of go through it in a little more detail. Uh, so Grant became president after the 68 election, so became held office in 69 uh, and held office until 1877. His sort of presidency was marked by corruption, economic malfeasance, all sorts of bad deals. And in people's minds, a lot of people's minds, Reconstruction became tied to this corruption. Um, Grant was sort of see, seen as the, the head of this Reconstruction movement and his sort of corruption tied those things together in people's minds quite unfairly but nevertheless it was tied uh racism in the north became much more visible during this time right people white people in the north uh became sick you know they were sick and tired of of congress only focusing on on black problems right and the radical republicans lost their sort of super majorities in the house and congress meaning they couldn't sort of just impose their will uh, and put forward what they wanted. And eventually, so the Civil Rights Act of 1875, they had some more some more successes along the way, but nothing quite as big as, you know, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. Uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1875 forbade some forms of racial discrimination, but most of that act was overturned by the Supreme Court in 1883, so it didn't really go on for very long. And that, that Civil Rights Act of 1875 marked the last time Congress would pass another piece of civil rights legislation for about 70 years, right? So really the full collapse of any civil rights acts in the U.S. The the panic of 1873, this economic panic, created huge financial pressures across the country and also helped lead to uh, Republicans losing control of the House in 1874. Democrats, white Democrats, also began to reassert white supremacy in the South. Uh, These rich white planters, often Confederate leaders, appealed to poor white Southerners with sort of racist rhetoric and laws, right? They said, look, we're both white. We need to work together. Uh, It's very, very racist rhetoric that they used to sort of get white farmers and planters, poor white farmers and planters, who at one point found a lot in common, actually, with all of these poor uh, black farmers and planters, uh, to sort of split them up. KKK and other white supremacist groups intimidated black voters into voting Democrat or not voting at all. Uh, for in one example, is intimidation. Prior to this 1868 election, 2,000 people were killed or injured in Louisiana as part of these voter intimidation efforts. Uh, rape and sexual violence were common tools used to sort of reassert this pre-Civil War social order. Grant did act successfully to destroy the KKK, uh, though it would arise again in the 1910s and 1920s. So it wasn't fully destroyed, but until the 1910s and 20s, its power was vastly, vastly uh, undercut by Grant. Uh, They also had sort of the, the Mississippi Democrats and white supremacists 
had much more sort of formal plans as well to do this. Something called the Mississippi Plan was put into place by Mississippi Democrats in 1875. They used local sort of Democratic clubs, right, uh, groups of voters to terrorize black voters, Republican leaders, and any white people who supported them. Grant refused to do anything to stop them. So unlike stopping the KKK, he refused to stop this reign of terror by Mississippi Democrats. Uh, and this was cop. This sort of Mississippi plan was copied by groups all along the South. And in 1876, Democrats won in huge margins in these elections. And they claimed that they had redeemed, quote unquote, the South. Uh, and they began calling themselves the Redeemers. Uh, and so the, these national elections in 1876 saw Democrats use these sort of redeemer tactics across the country to win elections. So 1876 really marks the, the, the end of Reconstruction, the collapse of Reconstruction with the presidential election. This was an election between Rutherford, Rutherford B. Hayes, who was a Republican, and the Democrat Samuel Tilden. These uh, Democrat redeemers use violence to prevent as many as 2,500,000 people in the South from voting Republican, mostly black, not always, but mostly. Uh, and Republicans saw this, knew this was happening, and claimed that it had cheated them out of the presidency. Uh, there's a lot sort of more going on here, but we're not going to go too in detail into it. Uh, basically, it's ended in the Compromise of 1877. In exchange for the presidency, Republicans agreed to withdraw federal troops from the South. So the federal troops, military, had basically been the ones keeping sort of the Democrats kind of in line, right? Not fully, as we saw with the Redeemers and all that stuff, but sort of somewhat keeping things in check. But the withdrawal of those federal troops saw the end of Reconstruction. So the Democrats quickly reestablished control, fully sort of enacting this Jim Crow South uh, legal structure uh, that would exist for a very long time in the United States, almost 70 more years. Uh, they sort of destroyed whatever progress Reconstruction had achieved. Sort of just to wrap this all up, uh, Reconstruction was a time of vast promise. Many people saw it as a chance to create a United States that sort of lived up to the to the words of its founders, right? This place of you know life, liberty, pursuit of happiness for everyone. And for a while, it seemed as if there was a chance that this might come true, right? You saw the Freedmen's Bureau, Radical Reconstruction, sort of this chance for something like this to happen. But racism, political ambivalence, economic downturns, a lack of labor and land reform, and white supremacist violence all combined to sort of thwart this political revolution, this potential revolution, right? Uh, so there's a possibility of it, but in the end, it was beaten back basically reconstruction did see the end of slavery the passage of some civil rights amendments the 13th 14th and 15th amendments and uh sort of the first civil rights acts which would be hugely important in upcoming years but it was a failure in the end so this idea of an unfinished revolution the the reconstruction there in a bit of a short nutshell obviously there's much more reading uh, and sort of work that can be done on this. Uh, the W.E.B. Du Bois book on this is probably uh, the best sort of book to read if you want to read anything about Reconstruction. But there are some other works as well that I, I highly recommend. One would be 
if you want a really sort of academic book, Amy Drew Stanley's From Bondage to Contract is a tremendously important book. Uh, it's very, very dense, uh, but it is it is good. Uh, Mothers of Invention is also great. Uh, Eric Foner's Reconstruction, America's Unfinished Revolution is really good. And then uh, Laura Edwards' Gendered Strife and Confusion, The Political Culture of Reconstruction, also, also great. Uh, once again, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you next time where we'll be discussing the Industrial Revolution and looking at how that began to affect the United States of America. Thanks again and have a great rest of your day.